The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and today. The year is 1986, and this is episode two. This episode covers March through April. And now, on with the show. On March 14th, on the Showtime cable station in America, the entire evening's viewing is billed as the Lenin Legacy. Two generations of music. At the moon, the stars, the sun. In March, look at the man behind the legend in rarely seen documentary footage with John and Yoko's milestone bed in for peace. It's a bed in, folks. As well as one of the first extended music videos. Imagine the film. Showtime will also present an exclusive interview with Yoko Ono. Listening to his songs, I think I get energy from that, you know? And the first ever concert appearance by second generation rocker Julian Lennon. Lennon Legacy, a month-long celebration crowned with an evening of music and memories on March 14th, all starting at 8, 7 central with Stand By Me, a portrait of Julian Lennon, followed by the John Lennon concert film, The Lennon Legacy, a special tribute only on Showtime. Incidentally, the Westwood One Radio Network joins in the fun by simultaneously broadcasting in stereo the Live in New York City show. Also on March 14th, Yoko's Starpiece Tour plays Budapest, Hungary. Before the next song, I would like to introduce my musicians. Jimmy Rip on guitar. Mark Rivera on sax and keyboard. Steven Scale on percussion. Benny Graham on drums. And Lee Fox on bass guitar and Philip Ashley on keyboards. You know, I saw people sort of trying to dance in your small seats, you know, stand up and dance, it's fine, you know. <laughs> because I love you. <laughs> it's okay to dance, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I see, I see. Uh, uh, who's this? <laughs> Is this a long distance call? Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I'm not afraid, I just think that uh, you sound very familiar to me. 
That is because we're confessing our vibration to yours. I see. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You will not blow up Earth. You will not blow up Earth. Oh, you mean we're not going to blow up Earth? Oh, that's great. Great to know. You are wisdom. You are love. Thank you. The next day... This is the Children's Hospital in Birmingham. Not a great deal to be funny about, but it's not all gloom and doom. There's a lot of happiness here. There could be more if we had the funds to improve the conditions and facilities of the hospital. That's what the concert you're about to see is concerned with. Following Bob Geldof's Live Aid, the bands, groups and singers of the Midlands have got together to produce their own version. It's called Heartbeat 86. We go over to the National Exhibition Centre in Birmingham where DJ Peter Powell will tell you all about it. 11,500 people are going to pack themselves into the Birmingham International Arena, all paying about £15 a head, which means the total amount to us, £200,000. The promoter, Maurice Jones, and all the team and all the bands are given their services free. It's one heck of a fantastic musical extravaganza, and it's all called Heartbeat 86. At the National Exhibition Centre in Birmingham, 
George Harrison joins the many musicians on stage for this charity event. There was a charity showing of all the bands from Birmingham. Yellow, Moody Blues, you know, all those people. And I went up to see Jeff, um, see the ELO, and, uh, you know, it's hard to go and watch a concert without somebody shoving a guitar in your hand saying, come on then. So we all did like, uh, like 29 guitar players playing Johnny Be Good or something like that. I didn't know the words or anything, but it was, again, it was fun. George is seen sharing a mic with ex-wing guitarist Denny Lane in front of a capacity crowd of 11,500. Cherry on the cake left, one song left, and a very special guest who's coming here to sing it. He's no slouch at making money himself for charity. He was helping out in Bangladesh. Will you please welcome the ex-Beatle, Mr. George Harrison!
show is recorded for a future televised broadcast. Are you getting, you know it's the inevitable question. Am I going on too? No, are you getting the taste for live performances? Well, I've always had the taste for live performances in some way. Yoko seems to have the appetite for live performances as her star piece tour rolls on to Vienna, Austria on March 16th. Then it's on to Ljubljana, Yugoslavia on the 18th.
On March 19th, Yoko, Sean, and her band fly to London and arrive at Heathrow Airport. The Lennons take up residency at the Dorchester Hotel before attending the play Lennon at the Astoria Theatre. They also meet up with John's first son, Julian. Then on March 20th, Yoko holds a morning press conference. How do you feel your role is as representative of the Asian American community? Oh, um, I feel that we are world citizens and that uh, we have to help each other, but not single out one race. Um, John's son, Julian, are you influential in his life at all? Well, Julian is now living in New York most often, and he visits me and Sean very often. And we're very good friends. What has the reaction been of the different countries you've visited to your show? All very different and interesting. They've been turning up in, the, in large numbers, have they? Oh, yes, and in Eastern Europe especially. Warsaw was very emotional, very emotional. And I think that because they can't come to us uh, so much, so we should just reach our hands. And I hope after this, many people will just go there. If they're going to vacation in Europe, uh, just not going to Rome and Paris, but uh, go to Warsaw. It's beautiful, you know. We had this little fright about it. Oh, shall we go to Eastern European countries, you know. Mm. But people are so warm, very religious. I was going to attend a mass in the morning, you know, because they all go to mass in church, but um, I overslept. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, Yoko and her band played the Wembley Conference Center.
welcome back to England. Are the memories flooding back for you? Oh, yes. I mean, it's so nice to be back, you know. I was very nervous about coming back. But the minute I landed at the airport, I started to remember all sorts of things, you know, and it's just very emotional for me. You're on a world tour. What has the reaction been in the different countries you've visited to your show? All very different and interesting. You were labelled uh, the woman who split up the Beatles, were you? Oh, well, that one. Uh, of course not. I mean, they're very strong uh, men, and you can't even try to do it, even if you wanted to, but I, I had no idea about it. The way I look at it is that um, they were getting very, very big. And actually, uh, you know just that side, that they're just big people, you know? But they were actually very good performance art artists, and they loved performing. And when they had to stop performing because it was just getting too big, I think that they needed that inspiration again to go and perform. And I, I remember at one point, in fact, Paul actually said to the others, you know, why don't we to get the inspiration again, to get the kick out of it, you know? Uh, why don't we go on the road again? Maybe we'll do clubs again. And of course it sounded sort of very impractical at the time. And then he would say, oh no, no, okay, well we can't do that announced, but maybe we can do it unannounced, just go to one club, suddenly appear and say we're the Beatles, you know? And it was sad watching all that, you know? Feeling that they couldn't do what they were enjoying all their lives. And were you desolate yourself when the Beatles did split up? Well, let's put it this way. What happened was John was with uh, these three very interesting, exciting people, and now it was going to be me. And I had to fill the space of three people and more. The whole world that he had, he just burnt the bridge and came to me, you see. So sometimes quite heavy, <laughs> the responsibility. <laughs> Would you ever contemplate remarriage? Mm. Well, uh, let's put it this way. I'm in a position where I have a child who's still very much admiring his father and missing him. And uh, Julian is also my responsibility in some ways, I feel, you know. And Julian has two stepfathers, and, and he was saying that it was a, sort of a, a difficult experience for him, etc. And when he comes to see me and all that, and I can sort of freely see him. And it's a nice situation now, you see. And, of course, I'm uh, caring of uh, John's relatives still. And I'm doing business with John's uh, ex-partners. So if anybody wants to fit into that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite a challenge. Yes. When you say his ex-partners, I mean, what is your relationship now with the other Beatles? Well, um, uh, well, they were John's ex-partners, and so I have all the respect for them. And I would not want to say anything that would harm them in public or whatever. But also, it's like a marriage, you know what I mean? We have Apple and McLean going for the past decade or so. And... Uh, we, we are doing business together. So just like any marriage, it, it has ups and downs, and we sort of swear to each other once in a while, but you know, uh, being public figures or whatever, you all know about it, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> but still, um, we must be doing something right for the marriage to go on like this. Well, thank you for being with us tonight. Good luck with the rest of your tour. It's been fascinating talking to you, Yoko Ono. On March 24th in the UK, 
and March 25th in America, Charisma Records and Atlantic Records released the LP The Secret Value of Daydreaming by Julian Lennon. It is produced by Phil Ramone, who produced Julian's first LP, Falak.
significance of the secret value of daydreaming? Well, you have to ask Fred Schreuer about that. I mean, there are many, um, many meanings for the secret value of daydreaming, but uh, I'm a big daydreamer myself, so uh, I tend to write a lot of songs that way. You know, sit at the piano and just uh, drift off somewhere.
preparation was totally different for this album. Uh, I mean, the first album I had 20 years to prepare. <laughs> this album I had a month. But um, I had to, a lot to work off because of the tour and everything. So I had uh, a lot to think back on what I could write about and, uh, and relationships and whatever. But uh, I didn't have as much time as last time. But uh, that's to be expected.
no real story why Billy Joel is on the album except he's a, a real good piano player. Uh, and uh, I'd met him a couple of times uh, and obviously he's a good friend of Phil's. Uh, so uh, we just got together and said, well, how about a solo? So he came in for five minutes, did three solos. Uh, I was watching uh, like that, amazing keyboard player, and that was it.
aside from the double photograph of Julian on the album cover, is the handwritten title and song list, a definite nod to the previous albums by Phil Collins, Hello, I Must Be Going, and No Jacket Required. Yeah, well, there's a little story behind that, because uh, we, are, we are friends, myself and Phil, so uh, uh, I wrote a little note on the inside sleeve which says, um, thank you, Phil Collins, for a short hand less, uh, uh, ha a lesson in handwriting, right.
I write about experience in life, you know, things that affect me, things that I'm aware of, and if I believe in a certain cause or a certain politics, uh, I think they're each to their own, really, you know. Seems 
the album, The Secret Value of Daydreaming. Recording for this LP took place in the Bahamas at Compass Point Studios, with final mixing taking place at the Hit Factory in New York City. The album peaked at number 32 in the U.S. Billboard Top 200 charts and number 93 in the U.K. The young Lennon was pleased with this LP and was excited to take it on the road, feeling confident of the public's reaction. Dezo Hoffman is a highly acclaimed photographer who spent a lot of time with the Beatles. Dezo, good morning. Good morning. On March 29th, photographer, photojournalist, and cameraman Desider Dezo Hoffman dies at the Harley Clinic in London, where he had suffered from a heart attack, which left him in a coma. He was 73. And Dezo was, he was a star photographer, but he's also a very good friend of ours. I felt 17 again. I could have been their father when, when all this was happening. I had no idea of how to present myself, but it's people like Dezo that present you to the public. Uh, he stood out from, from a crowd. Always experimenting. My picture's been always alive. And they all used to just, whenever we took a photo, they used to say, jump in the air. Okay. The whole idea came to me, you know, somehow to portray the diversity of the lives war had broken out like overnight he was a, a photographer with the free czech army but sometimes the stories he'd tell me he'd make you cry and he would tell us that he had been shot twice that he had a piece of shrapnel still in him they put a noose around his neck and strung him on the tree he's hanging on the tree you know choking he had Terrible nightmares. Then he became a showbiz photographer. It's just funny. In the 60s, he set the standard of what pop photos looked like. He could actually uh, copy anybody because there was nobody to copy at that time. I don't actually see how a, you know, a Slovak young photographer suddenly gets these doors opened. Beatles changed him a lot. But it wasn't just the Beatles. He worked a lot with Cliff and the Shadows, Eric Burton, Scott Walker. The Rolling Stones, Sandy Shaw. He was such a gentleman. Did he have a wife? Dezo had taken more photographs of the Beatles in their early career than any other photographer. Everyone liked him. Strange little man. His body was cremated at Golders Green Crematorium in London on April 1st. On April 4th in the UK, Paul McCartney is seen on Channel 4's music show, The Tube, where they are celebrating their 100th episode. Tube 100! Jules and Paula. 
that is videotaped from his home in Sussex. Congratulations, Tube. 100 years old, eh? Who would ever thought that? I tell you, it doesn't seem like yesterday. I want to say congratulations to all the team who put the show together, to Jules and Paula who are covered in mold. And really, it's just fabulous. Congratulations, Tube 100. 100 years old. This is NBC. In America on the NBC television network, George Harrison is featured on the morning show today. We're back at 7.30 on a Thursday morning. We're on this morning we are welcoming to the studio, New York's uh, foremost Mets fan. I would assume you still are. Despite oh, sure. Fact, they've fine. lost three in a row. Oh, it doesn't matter. Two and a half back, etc., etc. In this half hour. Today, music reporter Rhoda Elliott has more of her exclusive interview with George Harrison. This morning, he looks back to the years when... Well, when I adored him so, though he's never heard of me, Gene. I don't believe that. It's true. Journalist Rona Elliott traveled to the UK for this four-part interview that airs April 14th, 16th, 17th, and 18th. You don't realize how much I need you. Love you all the time and never leave you. Please come on back to me I'm lonely as can be I need you Throughout the years, there have been certain constants in George Harrison's life. A commitment to spiritual growth, his enjoyment of gardening, even his home in England is in the middle of a national park, and of course, there's his music. Music was such a huge part of your life. Do you still make music every day? Maybe not every day, but, you know, I do. Um, although I haven't been involved making any records for a while. I've, I still write tunes. I've got a studio in my house and I, I make demos. I leave, you know, there's boxes of demos. Sort of, um, you know, someday somebody can overdub on them. Like Jim Reeves. Maybe I'll make another album. I just got sort of fed up with it. It just seemed, you know, the record business goes through all kinds of different stages. And the last time I made an album, they were I don't think anybody knew what was happening. And they were so busy getting opinions from people on the side of the street of what's supposed to be a hit song. You know, that's what they tell me. Like, a, a hit single is love lost or gained between 13 and 21 years old. You know, what kind of chance does that give me? So I, you know, well, I'll just go gardening for a bit. Now, maybe I would mind a concert here or there, but it's not my idea of fun, really. and it's got a lot of energy and it, it can be thrilling but um, 
I just did uh, a tune with, with another charity show in Birmingham. It was all the Birmingham bands. Um, the ELO and the Moody Blues people like that. And uh, that was fun, just to get up and sing Johnny B. Good is easy, but I don't really want to go out there singing all my tunes day in, day out. In the recent video, the Carl Perkins special, you honored him and you thrilled him by participating. Why did you choose to do that? Well, I was, um, my apprenticeship, I think, was with that kind of music. And I'd met Carl years ago. He was such a nice, sweet man, very, very genuine person. And uh, I think I just liked that music so much. I thought, well, if I'm ever going to get up and do something again, then this thing, at least I know how to do this sort of stuff. performance for him and it looked like it was emotional for everybody there is that what yeah. it felt like it was nice because again although it wasn't a charity show well it was Carl Aid <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it was um, I think again you know most people just did it because they loved Carl Perkins and um, and that's it and so it went a bit beyond you know the usual thing of getting a posing and on I cute you know look at my skin shine look at my <laughs> Your commitment to spiritual values has been a constant part of your life. <clears throat> in the form that we experienced it in the 60s, devotees and gurus, is that still the form that it takes in your life? Um, I think the 60s, it was sort of necessary and important what happened. And uh, I think like with anything, if you want to learn tennis, you go to somebody who can instruct you in tennis. If you want to learn how to be a yogi or how to meditate or whatever, then you need an instructor who, somebody who knows that. And unfortunately, the word guru became um, a bit of a joke because, um, again, with the way the press saw them as silly old fellows, you know, like Maharishi with his long hair and things like that. And, uh, and also because there were a lot of bogeys, you know, as there are yogis, there's also bogeys. <laughs> And without mentioning names, there's been quite an influx of them over the years into America. And uh, I still think it's, it's um, like somebody once said, you have to be like the wise ant that crawls through the grains of sand and finds the grains of sugar. And so each person has to find for himself um, a way in a realization. I mean, the goal, I still believe that the only reason we're on this planet, it's like going to school again. It's, um, each soul is potentially divine, and the goal is to manifest that divinity. Everything else is secondary. Of all of the privileges and the opportunities accorded to you because of the circumstances in your life, when you stop and reflect on it, what is the greatest benefit that's come through all of this? The greatest benefit, I think, is the knowledge that's come from the experience, and that is that um, 
I don't really know what it is. It's very subtle, but it's something like, um, you know, the, but only by going through certain things do you understand what happened and why it happened and, and have some sort of um, deeper uh, strength that comes out of that. And I suppose that's the main thing, but it, through the 60s, I got into India. I think that was the one thing in my life that I could have done without everything else but that one thing of getting in touch with the what's inside through Maharishi and Ravi Shankar and Indian music and um, this the spiritual thing, that, that was it. George Harrison's music can also be heard in his newest film release, Water, which opens in theaters around the country today. He's also written songs for the upcoming film, Shanghai Surprise. Over in London on April 18th at George Martin's Air Studios, McCartney conducts the final mixing of his new studio LP that is now delayed. I know it really wouldn't be a crime 
releases a new studio LP. Hello, this is Paul McCartney talking to you here in the heart of London. Let's spend the next hour together as I present and play some of the songs from my brand new album, Press to Play. Ringo gets to the point. Once upon a time, a long way from here and a long way from now, there was a tiny village where everything all had points on them. And George returns to Abbey Road. Next on Yesterday and Today. Or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time.
I'm Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts yesterday and today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the shows. As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. You can head to our social media pages. That's Facebook.com slash Yesterday and Today Podcast or Facebook.com slash Third Men. Or you could head to Society6.com slash Kaminsky Family Podcast. That's Society, the number six, dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family Podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. (laughs) Guys, we need your help. (laughs) Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Dad. All right. We'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me.